Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Understanding the mindset of your customer. Well, we asked Kristen Javago of Javago Partners to join us about mindset-driven marketing and looking at the light, the medium, the heavy, and the intense scrutiny that you have to do within yourself and what it is your customer is looking for. How to evaluate both their product and yours. All this in one serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. Kristen, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. Thank you. Good to be here. It's certainly a pleasure. Now, Kristen, you are part of, I would say, probably the top part of Zhivago Partners, which is a digital marketing agency. And one of the things that you've done is you've written a book about Roadmap to Revenue. What kind of road is that, and how do you know when to make the turn at that fork in the road to get to revenue? Well, that's a big question. The whole title of the book is Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. And that subhead is the real deal when it comes to understanding how to get on a roadmap to revenue. I've since expanded that recently. We're just starting to roll this out into the market, but I'm starting to talk about something I call mindset-driven marketing, where you figure out what is the customer's mindset when they set out to buy your product? How can you make an offer that appeals specifically to that specific mindset? And if you do that, you're going to get a bunch of leads. And we've been testing this for the last six months or so in our company, and the results have been really the most exciting that I've ever experienced in all my decades in marketing. So I think we're on to something. But the idea of mindset and understanding the customer's mindset is turning out to be a really important concept for the business owner who's trying to figure out what can I say to the customer that's going to make them want to buy. And that's how you get on the roadmap to revenue. And the roadmap is here's how you find out what their mindset is. And here's what you do after you find that out. In your book, Roadmap to Revenue, you talk about how and why marketing has become so difficult comparing the old school where I grew up in marketing to today and what's happening with search engine optimization and the rules keep changing. It's like politics. They keep moving the goalpost. How are you adjusting in this digital world where you are marketing in that space to advise your clients on how to keep your eye on that goalpost to make the deals that they need to do? Two things. First of all, when you talk about search engine optimization, which is not search engine advertising, two different things. So search engine optimization is when you want your content to appear on page one. There's only 10 spaces on page one of the search results. And it takes a long time, takes a lot of work. The thing to remember as a principle is that Google's job, and the reason Google still owns more than 90% of the search engine market, is their main job is to provide content that readers want to read. And they stay there and read it. They don't bounce away. They continue through your site. So your bounce levels are down. Bouncing is when you come in once and then go away. How long they stay on your site, the content they find interesting and that type of thing. That takes time. It takes time to build that, you know, the number of keywords you're being found for getting on the first page. There's a few ways to get on page one pretty quickly, which we do. There's nothing shady about it. I don't do shady. So there's a couple of things you can do. 
Google does change their algorithm. They have like 200 different criteria they use to rank sites. And they do make major changes every so often and even sometimes four times a day. But if you are providing content that is important, relevant, educational, entertaining, whatever to your customers, Google's going to rank you above the people who aren't doing that, who are just bragging in their content or providing content that's not useful. So that's search engine optimization. Search engine marketing, where you're going after a particular audience and you want to create ads that appear on page one, there's eight slots for that, four at the top, four at the bottom. You need ads and landing pages. You can't just send them to your website. And the big secret thing that we're now making public is that if you get that mindset right, the ads will work. I mean, I've had a client who was in the middle of a pandemic where travel was completely restricted. She has a travel product service and she's getting 100 leads a month from nothing, just from those ads because we figured out the mindset. So that's the important thing. I don't care what channels you use. There's social, there's search engine optimization, there's email marketing, there's content marketing, all this stuff. And people get hung up on the channel. But if the message doesn't relate to their mindset, it's not going to do you any good. When you say hung up on the channels, are you referring to whether it be social media, text, web paging? Mm -hmm. Those are what you're referring to as the channels. So you have to focus on the message. So that brings me to the question in your book, you talk about how marketing and sales has always been at war. Well, what happens if the marketing hat is worn by the same person in the sales hat that is in a small business? How do they squelch that argument between the left and right side of their brain? Yeah, this has been going on for decades, and it's actually finally going away because selling is broken. Selling doesn't work anymore. And I'm talking about the cold call, calling someone out of the blue and basically saying, hi, my name is Joe. Will you marry me? Which has never worked anyway. But people have gotten so good at, <laughs> at um, avoiding that. What, what I did in my book and what I do in my practice here is we don't care about marketing and sales. The reason I called myself a revenue coach for decades is because really what a business owner or a CEO cares about is revenue. And it doesn't matter that there's two different departments. And the reason there were two different departments is because marketing people are cats and salespeople are dogs and, you know, that they don't <laughs> get along very well. And it was just because of the departments. You had two different kinds of people. But if you look at the selling process in terms of the customer's buying process, because I was one of the first people to identify the fact that there's such a thing as a buyer's journey. When we're buyers, we know that that's what happens. We decide we have a mindset. The mindset is, I got to solve this problem or I need this thing. And then we go on our search, on our quest to find that thing. It's easier than ever now because we've got the world at our fingertips. Google helps you search the world for that thing. That's the buyer's journey. And the buyer's journey consists of a number of questions. And the higher the scrutiny of the purchase, like buying bubblegum is a lot less scrutiny than buying a house. The levels of scrutiny that people apply to the purchase in my book. That's an interesting analogy. Okay, so continue. You understand the questions that they're asking. And then marketing and sales have to be equipped to be able to answer those questions to the buyer's satisfaction. If the buyer's satisfied with those answers, they're not going to search anymore. They're going to buy from you. So this whole thing that everybody's made so complicated is understanding the mindset so we track their attention properly in the first place, answering their questions to their satisfaction, 
And we have to do that by understanding what they care about. And, you know, this is why you have to interview your customers. So you find out the truth about that. And then they don't want to go somewhere else. If you've answered those questions to their satisfaction, they're going to buy from you. You make it easy for them to buy from you. And I don't care if it's sales. I don't care if it's marketing. I don't care if it's customer service. I don't care if it's on your website or in something you send them. It really doesn't matter. You have to be prepared to answer all those questions in any way that the customer wants to make it easy for them to buy from you. You use the analogy of the bubble gum. That's an impulse buy. And so you're identifying the general consumer at a last moment. Say, There's an opportunity for that impulse. What about the businesses that are doing, whether it be business to business or business to consumer? Don't they have to identify a different solution in order to make that sale? The four categories of products and services in the world, based on the amount of scrutiny that the person applies to the purchase, is light scrutiny, medium scrutiny, heavy scrutiny, and intense scrutiny. Light scrutiny is exactly what you just said. It's the impulse purchase at the checkout counter. Can I afford that candy bar financially and because of my waistline? Yes or no? (laughs) Couple of questions, one to $10 impulse purchase. Not a lot of questions. Medium scrutiny products and services are on the B2C side, the business to consumer side, clothing on B2B. It's like simple software products and things like that. Maybe you've got five to 10 questions. So that other, that medium one would be like a, a QVC ad or online. We're saying here's an opportunity for the clothing or jewelry or pots and pans and things like that. Exactly. So you have about five to 10 questions. And I outline all of this in my book. I have a chapter dedicated to each one of these scrutiny levels. So that's medium scrutiny. And it, by the way, in the light scrutiny and medium scrutiny Really one person involved for the most part in the purchase. Maybe you care what your husband or wife thinks about the clothing that you're going to buy, but basically it's you're alone in your buying purchase. However, when you get to heavy scrutiny, B2B or B2C, business to business or business to consumer, then you've got other people involved. You have a salesperson who needs to answer your questions typically or walk you through a contract or something. There's an agreement of some kind. It's a big purchase. It's a car. It's a house. Thousands of dollars. So light scrutiny is like tens of dollars, medium scrutiny is tens to hundreds, and heavy scrutiny is hundreds to thousands or maybe more. So if I go out and buy that fishing boat that I've always wanted and I come home with it, I could be under some pretty heavy scrutiny. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't involve your significant other, that's right. So there is somebody else involved in a heavy scrutiny purchase typically. And then you have intense scrutiny, which is everything that we just talked about for heavy scrutiny, except you get married. It's an ongoing service or an enormous contract, like you're building airplanes for Boeing. It's this long involved thing, but it still has a contract, still has multiple buyers, lots and lots of questions. The reason I did that in the book is because I kept seeing CEOs and entrepreneurs trying to sell a light scrutiny product as if it were heavy scrutiny, bogging down the sale, or a heavy scrutiny product as if it were light scrutiny where they weren't providing enough information to answer the customer's questions. They're very specific questions. And so you can't make the sale. We're talking with Kristen Zhivago on the Roadmap to Revenue, a digital marketing agency. And in your book, you talk about how marketing is moving from a company-centered to a buyer-centric. What does that mean? It kind of goes back to the years I was working on and off doing consulting for IBM, writing instructions for their marketers, teaching their marketers all over the world and stuff. 
And every time I had a meeting with a marketing or an IBM executive, we'd be drawing diagrams on the whiteboard. And he would always put that that person I was working with always put IBM in the center and then all this other stuff the customers were doing sort of around the periphery. And I'd come up and change that to the customer's the center of all of this. And everything you do should be supporting that. During the tenure of Lou Gerstner, I was there before he came on board, while he was on board, and afterwards. And it was during that period, while he was on board, this guy spent 40% of his time, even though he was running a 300,000-person company, he spent almost half his time with customers, number one, and he had been a customer. So he understood how customers think. And if you don't, you're really just spitting into the wind. I mean, you're just saying what you think. And what you think isn't correct. I mean, I've interviewed thousands of customers for hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs. Every single time I would go into the company, I'd meet them, I'd get to know what they think and everything. The executives would tell me all the stuff they were doing and what they thought was important to customers. And then I'd go out and interview customers and their list was completely different. So all the decisions they were making about marketing were off target. They were not appealing to the mindset of the customer. And that's the biggest mistake everybody makes. So I teach in my book how to interview people who have already bought from you, who are no longer negotiating with you and playing poker. They actually will tell you what they think. So with that in mind and moving on to the sales and marketing, we've already identified the difference in there. How has the technology and multi-platforms versus text, video, social media, email, is it advisable? And do you advise your customers, your clients to use multiple platforms or is it more of a rifle shot in one particular venue? It completely depends on their customers. So we have B2B customers who really don't need to advertise in Facebook because even if their audience were there, they aren't in Facebook looking for that kind of solution. They're keeping up with their grandchildren or something. So it completely depends on the channels where your customers would expect to find you when they went on their buying journey. That's the problem with focusing on channels and kind of getting excited about the latest shiny marketing object. I was in marketing before there was any internet. And my husband and I, because we were in Silicon Valley, we introduced all the technology we have today. We helped introduce that to the marketplace. So I've seen it before and after. And I've watched these fads come through the marketplace where people say, oh, you got to be on social. Everybody's got to be on social. Well, it turns out social is great if you're a celebrity or a sports star or a politician or something, but it doesn't necessarily isn't where people would expect where they would go to find the information about you. If you're a B2B company, for example, they may go to your Twitter feed to see what you care about. So you have to be there. But that's not your main selling channel because that's not their mindset. That's not where they would go. They go first to your website if they don't find everything there. They also go to customer review places where, you know, like G2 Crowd or Captera for looking for software and see what other people say. So the biggest change, put all the technology aside, the biggest change that has happened in the last few decades has been that customers can now talk to each other separate from a salesperson. They don't need a salesperson anymore to answer their questions. They can go to Joe Blow down the street 
or in Milwaukee who they've never met who posted a review somewhere and say, okay, now I understand. Good, bad, and the ugly will show up on that. Yeah, exactly. So you better be good at keeping the promises you make. On the social media aspect of it, in all platforms, how important is it to be out there in the face of everybody, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Is it important to have that message sent out once a day, 10 times a day, or is it that important to be in everybody's face all the time? Honestly, I think that's the wrong way to ask the question. Sorry. Um, The right way to ask the question is, where would our customers go to find information about us? All right. And what do they expect from us? Like I've asked B2B customers how often they want to hear from somebody they've already bought from about new offers and things like that. And it turns out they actually do want to hear from companies they've bought from. And they are going to be open to latest upgrades or here's a new accessory or something like that, or here's an article that you might be interested in. And the answer was about every three weeks. If it's once a month, it's not often enough. They fall off my radar. If it's every two weeks, they're going to start filling up my inbox and irritate me. So it's about every three weeks. Now, it's hard to set up a schedule for every three weeks. For some reason, we're all sort of every two weeks or every month in our marketing departments. So a month is kind of a a compromise. But if you could set it up every three weeks, you'd be better off because that's what they want. They know what they want. And they know also where they would expect to find you. If they go to your site and they see the copyright is 2014, they're going to leave. They're going to assume somebody's asleep at the switch. If they go to Twitter and you haven't posted for a month or a week, they're going to leave. They want to know that you're out there and you care about them and that you are saying things that matter to you and somebody's awake because as customers, they need you to be awake. It's part of the promise we keep to customers. So, yes, they do expect, but not for the reasons everybody thinks. Should there always be a call to action in whatever communication you're putting out there? Go here and and get a special discount, try and sell something every time you put a message out? Or is it just better to say, hey, folks, here I am. This is something that you may be of interest or something funny. Well, if you have something to offer, you need to put a call to action. You need to at least have one or two opportunities to reach out. One of the things I've learned from some of the developers we've worked with is that if you go to zhivagopartners.com, which is our website, you will see that even just on the homepage, there's probably five different ways. You know, as you scroll down, there's invitations throughout. Watch this video. Click here to talk to Kristen for 30 minutes. Read my blog. There are lots of opportunities to interact with us somehow, to raise your hand, to download something or let us know who you are so we can follow up. So, yes. You don't want to be like those guys who sell widgets and things that are... are Widgets and gadgets, yes. (laughs) Yes, widgets and gadgets, and they're every two seconds. I mean, that's like having a conversation, and every five minutes I say something, you know, it's just so irritating. It gets in the way of, of the message. So you have to have a balance, and you have to ask for it in obvious but subtle ways. So it's not a flashing, starburst, distracting thing that keeps them from reading your blog. But it's definitely something that has a button that says subscribe now and just enter in the the minimum amount of information. When we sell to people, we forget that they're human beings who have sensibilities and questions and they just want to be treated nicely. That's all. You know, a little courtesy goes a long way. So a lot of people get hung up in sort of what's the right thing to do with marketing? And the answer is, let's be polite for starters. Let's give them plenty of opportunities, but not be in their face. Let's not be jerks about it. 
When we're buyers, we know this. When we're sellers, we forget it. We're talking with Christian Zhivago of Zhivago Partners. There are so many variables in the marketing, and I follow a lot of them. And one that is very popular are these webinars that get put up. And, of course, I've found that in every webinar, at the end of it, there is a call to action. You have this opportunity. Do you find that these webinars are a good production and a good way to introduce yourself to a potential customer? Yes, but, and I have to keep answering you with a yes, but. I'm used to that. So what's the big (laughs) capitalized but? Again, it really doesn't matter what I say right here. What matters is what your customers expect. If you're selling an intense or even a medium, heavy or intense scrutiny product, and they have more than five or 10 questions, a webinar would be something they would appreciate. I mean, even somebody buying an appliance on Amazon and they want to see how it works and how easy it is to clean and some of the advantages of it and things like that. A video would be a good thing there. A webinar about a topic that's of interest that ties to the customer's mindset, the kind of issue that they're trying to solve. A mindset is not just one thought. It's usually several thoughts, like I need a landscaper who's going to show up on time, not be too expensive, understands the plants in the area and gives me good recommendations and, you know, as someone I can trust. So if I were advertising landscaping services and I did those things, I would say you could trust us with your yard. That's how I would approach the customer. And then right underneath that, I would say, we're going to show up on time. I'm going to make all the promises they want you to make. And I'm not going to break those promises. My most famous quote is branding is the promise that you make. Your brand is the promise that you keep. Yes. And everybody kind of forgets that if you're going to make the promise, you better be able to keep it. You are talking to the branding guy because I'm in the horse and cattle business. And I can tell you what, my brand leaves a permanent mark. <laughs> yeah. We're talking with Kristen Zhivago of the Zhivago Partners on her book, in part, Roadmap to Revenue. It's available on Amazon as well as uh, audiobooks. Talking about the webinar and as far as moving forward in the technology aspect, do you find that video is the next medium that has to be used in getting your message out? Yeah, I think we can make a generalization about video right now as a channel. And it is what people have come to expect. There's another channel that's becoming a baseline expectation, which is chat. Chat's been around for ages and ages. I remember chat 10 years ago, but it's finally become an accepted approach and people are starting to expect it when they come to your site. So I'm definitely recommending even for the higher scrutiny products and services, it's a really good thing to have. The trick is it has to be manned. Someone has to be available. So you have to have a round robin or some way of, you know, the technology supporting that availability. But that's one of those things. And people are reading much less and watching much more. No question about it. Who knows what's going to be on the horizon next, the COVID and the pandemic and which was going to confine us. And it brings me to all the attention that's being brought to the virtual meetings, and now there's virtual conferences. Yeah. Do you see that as a replacement or a value added to the conferences that we go to to get our hands dirty, so to say, in touching the equipment or the new technology that's out there? Yeah, I don't think face-to-face travel and conferences is going to absolutely go away. 
but this pandemic has really um, overnight changed that whole dynamic and people are setting up alternatives and trying to make them work. And because they're doing that, because they had to, they may not go back to, um, you know, face-to-face stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know. The other, the other thing to think about, though, is that people are going to go so stir-crazy by being locked up that they're going to travel more than they ever did. But that's travel. That's not a conference, per se. So you're talking about right. the conferences. I don't know how that's going to pan out yet. It's going to change it. I think we'll see more virtual stuff. Kristen, I can't thank you enough. We could go on for hours. For more information, anybody and everybody listening to this, you are the small business owner. You are the engine behind the GDP of this country. As always, go to BizSoup, where you will find the tips, tools, and techniques, including the links to Kristen's book, Roadmap to Revenue. Kristen, thanks for being on this serving of Business Soup. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it very much. This has been another serving of Business Soup where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.